Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. All right, how's everyone doing? Before introducing the guest for this week's episode of the podcast, which, let me tell you, is a pretty awesome guest, I would like to take some minutes of your time to do some public service announcements. First of all, uh, about our contest, uh, we have a monthly contest on our Facebook group, uh, the Traveling Image Makers Corner, where every month we ask people to submit their photos and we uh, pick a couple of winners and then we invite them to the show. So uh, we had some great submissions for the month of July. We already picked two winners. Uh, We're going to uh, announce them shortly and we will invite them on the show. And uh, we will uh, be opening soon, actually, by the time this podcast goes live and it is published, there will already be uh, a new contest on on the group. So you can just go to facebook.com uh, and go to our uh, Traveling Image Makers Corner group. Uh, the URL is facebook.com slash groups slash team corner. That's T-I-M corner. And you will find an album there in the photo sections and you can add your photos uh, for a chance to be invited on the show to talk about your photography and your travels. Number two, October is the month of Scott Kelby's Worldwide Photo Walk, a yearly event that every year attracts thousands of photographers in hundreds of locations worldwide. This year is a special occasion. It's the 10th anniversary. I've taken part in a, in a few of them. And uh, it's my pleasure to say that this year I will be leading my own photo walk uh, in Milan. Uh, the date is going to be October the 7th. And Ralph, as well, will be leading uh, his uh, own photo walk in Chicago. And you will be able to find our respective photo walks if you go to worldwidephotowalk.com. There is a map at the top. If you're in the Milan area, you can join mine. If you're in the Chicago area, you can join Ralph's. Uh, There are many others. Uh, Of course, you will be able to find one in your area. Uh, It's a free event. It's open to everyone. You don't have to be a professional photographer. You can come with a compact camera. You can come with a cell phone to take photos. We'll take anyone and we will uh, walk around the city for a couple hours, then and spend some more time in some restaurant or bar, have drinks, have some food, chat about photography, share photos, make friends, and so on. It's going to be a very relaxed, very fun event. As I said, it's free. The only thing is that there is a limit of 50 participants per location. So definitely sign up now. Uh, the date is getting closer. It's October 7. You don't want to be left out. Number three. Is about my photo tour of Oman. I mentioned that in uh, previous episodes, but the news is that I finally have a definitive price for it, uh, definitive dates. It's going to be from December 4 to December 12, 2017. Uh, you can go to my website, ucphoto.me, uh, go to the photo tours section. It's at the top of the page. There's a menu. Uh, search for Oman and you will be able to sign up. But if you want to take part uh, in that tour, you have a unique chance to save some money by signing up before 
at the end of the month of August and only the first six people to uh, do the early sign up will get uh, an interesting discount. So you should definitely go there because we already have some people who are starting to, uh, to sign up for it. Uh, it would be great adventure in a country that is uh, a bit mysterious. Not many people know about it, but it's actually uh, absolutely safe and stable and recommended. Uh, it's going to be a great tour. We're going to stay in fantastic hotels and we're going to spend one night in the desert in Bedouin tents under the stars. It's going to be awesome. So again, photo tour of Oman, you will find all the information on my website, ucphoto.me. I also put a link in the show notes for this episode. Last but not least, Ralph is still promoting his tour organizer training program, a program aimed at people who have the intention of leading tours on location. There can be tours about photography, but not just about photography. It can be about culture, cooking, yoga, you name it. And uh, there's going to be a free webinar. The date is August 17, so it's going to be uh, pretty soon. You can sign up for it. It's going to be completely free. And Ralph will give you some uh, precious details about what it means to organize tours in this free webinar. So go to tourorganizertraining.com slash free webinar. Sign up for it. I definitely recommended it. I have attended it myself. Uh, it's uh, lots of great information there. So that's about it in terms of announcements. Uh, If you want to know more about what I just said and all the things that will be mentioned during the interview, you will be able to find them uh, on our website at ttim.photo forward slash 89. And if you want to subscribe on iTunes to the show or leave us a review or a rating, just go to ttim.photo forward slash iTunes. Thanks for that. And now let's introduce our guest for this week. Enjoy. So welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your hosts, Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. And today we have another great friend of us who has been a guest on the podcast some time ago. I think uh, he was in episode six, so that's a year and a half ago, probably. So welcome to the godfather of photography, <laughs> Rick Salmon. And the Stephen King of photography, as your buddy just called me. <laughs> Yeah, Ralph, right before we started this call, uh, uh, Ralph mentioned that you wrote a lot of books, uh, so you might as well call yourself the Steve King of photography books. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it's our pleasure. So um, how are you? You're home right now? Yeah. Um, yeah be- between between trips? From... We're between trips. I just came back from uh, Yellowstone and Grand Tetons National Parks. And uh, getting ready to go to the Oregon coast. So it's great to be home. I love being home. Yeah, great. Hard to believe three of us are all home, huh? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the same, Ralph. You're uh, home in <laughs> Chicago right now, and I'm home in Milan. So uh, getting some rest, well-deserved rest before our next trips, I guess. So, so Hello, home is where my passport is, you know? Yeah. I got a, I got a new passport. My old one was expired. And uh, yeah, so Rick Salmon was saying the godfather of photography, the Stephen King of photography books, if we wish. And uh, 
uh, Canon Explorer Flight, uh, Kelby One Instructor, uh, and as he defines himself on his uh, website, a man on a mission to make digital photography fun, creative, exciting, and rewarding for others. So that's uh, that's a great mission. And uh, website ricksalmon.com, of course. Uh, we'll put links in the show notes to to that. So welcome, welcome again. And uh, yeah, we're talking about books. I mean, you, you're a very prolific writer. How many books have you published so far? Well, uh, 36. And the number 36 was uh, this one, Evolution of an Image. And I have a book coming out later this year on exposure. And my wife and I, and we've been all over the world, <clears throat> about 100 countries, one of our favorite all-time trips was a Route 66, which starts around, you know, in Chicago. But we, we started actually around uh, Albuquerque and then went uh, east to the Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari and then went to Vegas. So anyway, we have a book coming out next year on Route 66. And, you know, I tell people, you know, you, 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 going all around the world is great. But if you want great photo opportunities... Uh, and have, want to have a great time being self-contained in your car, driving around. Route 66 is amazing. How do you find the time to write all those books? Do you ever find the time to take photos too? Or? Well, they're all my photos. I Actually, uh, <laughs> this book has uh, 300 pictures in it. This one has uh, 300. So my publisher wants, um, local press wants about 300 pictures in a book. Yeah, some pictures, but I'd say ninety percent, ninety-five percent of the pictures are new in every uh, in every book. Yeah, so you have to to do all the writing and to take all the pictures. So that's uh, I think it takes a lot of discipline, organization, and uh, I mean I've, uh, I'm uh, personally trying to write more myself. And I think, think that writing is very important. I'm drafting a book, maybe, but. It, it's hard for me to keep the discipline and maybe to, I don't know, do you do you have any uh, techniques? Like, do you plan to, to write, like, today, every day I want to write 500 words and I'll do that in the morning? Or how well, does that I think that Stephen work? King does that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think Stephen King does that, but I just go as fast as possible, to tell you the truth. Because I know I have a lot of help. I have, like, my brother was an editor on my Route 66 book. My wife reads it. Uh, and then at the publishers end, maybe three or four people read it. So I go pretty fast. And knowing that I'll read it again, but then I have other people reading it. So I don't like stress over, you know, every uh, every comma, every dash, which my brother takes out, by the way. Uh, I, don't, I don't stress over all of that. I just want to get my ideas down. And, and like you just said, organization is so very, very important and what's amazing i was thinking about this the other day the human brain i i see i'm sure authors see they see the or a movie director sees the scenes i see the pages like in my head like where the pictures go and you know like i like i you know i plan a layout like this but here's my secret i'm revealing this on your wonderful show every single book i do every single book i do is basically yeah, I'll go to a spread so you can see, is basically pictures and captions. So I don't have to write a book going blah, 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 insert figure 21 here, which you might find three pages later. It, that's why I think one of the reasons why my books are popular, it's just 
pictures and captions. Now, the caption might be 500 words, but that way I could switch things around. And, okay, if this doesn't go in this chapter, I'm going to use it in this chapter. If I'm talking about exposure, maybe I'll just use that and maybe change it to talk about composition. So writing pictures and captions, pictures and captions. So my books are basically 300 pictures and 300 captions with a short introduction. Mm -hmm. Makes it very easy for me to organize. So they're very practical. I mean, here's an example, and here's how I took that picture and what you exactly. should do. And yeah, yeah, I see, I see. I never say should, though. I say, you know, you might want to because, you know, it's all so subjective, yeah, right? Of course. <laughs> Although my wife tells me I shouldn't wear this shirt to like dinner parties, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, watching a, a YouTube video last night, a guy that uh, teaches about writing. And he was saying that uh, his recommendation, he writes books in less than 24 hours, and, and they don't have to be three or 400-page novels, but he just gives himself an hour set where he does nothing but write. And like you, Rick, it sounds like he just writes stream of consciousness, doesn't worry about grammar, anything at all, just gets it down, and that's the important thing. Is just do it and get it out there. Worry about all the tweaking later. Because you could tweak later. I, I just share what I think is a funny story. Uh, <laughs> my father, when he was alive, used to be my uh, my proofreader, my editor. When I would write books and mag, uh, you know, my magazine articles and things like that, and he was always very kind, changing the things around. So he died. Uh, I think he died about five or seven years ago. So now my brother's my editor. And my brother told me recently, my father asked him one time, does Rick actually read this stuff that he writes? <laughs> Meaning, you know, how, how can he send this to me? But, you know, I just have so much help. And, uh, you know, with my photographs, for example, I went to Africa. Uh, and I got some amazing pictures. But whenever I give a presentation, anyone who's watching this, including the people who were out of, uh, uh, out of Chicago, they know I give, I take 25% of the credit for my pictures in Africa. I take 25% uh, for taking the picture. I give my wife 25% for helping me with the lenses and spotting. I give our guy 25% of the credit for getting me into the right position. And I give my friend Jonathan Scott, the big cat man, 25% of the credit for loaning me his safari vehicle, private safari vehicle. So, I had four people helping me, so I should only take 25% of the credit. So on the in the books, yes, my name's on top. My name's on top, but look at all these acknowledgments. You know, I'm trying to see if you can see. I got, all, I got one page. I got like a whole page of acknowledgments of the people who made me look good. <laughs> you should give some credit to the cats. <laughs> to the big cats. You know what? The subjects. You're right. Okay, I'm not only taking... I'm only taking a fifth of the credit. Okay. <laughs> well, that, you know what? You bring up a good point, though, uh, in Africa. Uh, and the subject, never underestimate. You Maybe you haven't heard this term in, uh, in uh, Milan, but one of our presidents used to use the term, Ralph knows it, never misunderestimate. <laughs> right, Ralph? Right. <laughs> never, mis never underestimate the importance of a good subject. And this is so true, you know? You take a picture of a, of, a, of, a, of a squirrel in your backyard under the exact same lighting conditions as a, a, a lion, you know, uh, you know, in Africa, it's not going to have the same impact. 
So as somebody said, if you want to take interesting pictures, just put an interesting subject in front of your camera. Was that you? Or? I think it was I Joe McNally. Joe McNally, yeah. That's true. But, yeah, I think it was Joe McNally. He's a wonderful photographer, by the way, and a really nice guy. Point your camera at more interesting stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Rick, why, why does travel photography matter? Well, I think for me at this point... You know, I did underwater photography for 20 years. That's all I did. Uh, we just, my wife and I traveled around the world. We, uh, and uh, photographing a lake by Carl, Siberia, under the ice, Galapagos, Fiji. I could go through the whole list. Um, but what I, what I really started to like was the, uh, the people that I met. So for me, it's meeting the people, exploring these different cultures. And I think that maybe the answer to your question is, why does it matter? Is because we get to see what's important to other people. Like we were in the rainforest in uh, Brazil, and I was photographing this uh, Indian tribe, this Tariano uh, Indian tribe, and this woman had all this face painting on it. And I asked, why do you paint your face like that? And the reason they paint their faces is so when they go into the rainforest, they believe that the spirits of the rainforest protect them and help them with their with their hunts. Because these people are, you know, they're interested in what's happening today and they want to survive today. You know, yeah, they're planning for the future, but, you know, they're not on their iPhones thinking about this and that, blah, blah, blah. They're just trying to survive. So seeing what's important to other people, I think, might be one reason Another reason is to just see, you know, the beauty of the world. We just came back from Guilin, uh, China, where they have these, like, avatar-type mountains that you saw in the movie Avatar. It was just an amazing experience. So I think just see the, the wonder. I'm looking at one of the pictures here. I think meeting the people and seeing the wonders of this beautiful, beautiful planet that was so lucky to live on. Yeah, I would like to... Talk a little bit about a couple of blog posts that you recently published. Okay. And, uh, one of them is titled Bad Workshop Behavior. So can you tell yeah. us what, what happened uh, in the circumstances that you described uh, in that blog post and, and how can people avoid bad workshop behavior? Well, I think you just have to have, I'm sure you've heard of the book Emotional Intelligence. And what the book Emotional Intelligence is about is just by being aware of what's going around, on around you. We were at Bosque del Apache in New Mexico. This is where thousands and thousands of sandhill cranes and uh, snow geese take off in the morning, in November, December. Again, it's a fantastic, can't, could be fantastic, beautiful New Mexico sky with, filled with the reds, oranges, and yellows, you know, these warm colors. So everyone gets there early. So I get my group there, and there was a group there before me. I'm trying to show you on my shirt here. And there was a space like right here. So one of my one of my workshop students goes in there and starts to set up. And then this other person comes in there with like a two thousand dollar tripod and an eight thousand dollar rig and puts it down and says, "That's my space." And it was next to another one of her tripods. So she thought that just because she was on site, that that was her space. So I said, "Well, why don't you just move over?" We could all fit in. No, no, it's my space. I need a lot of room to work. So to me, that's bad workshop behavior. And the instru other instructor who was standing next to it didn't say anything. And I feel as though, my friends, 
you know, listening to my friends, you guys, you know, that we're all in this together. You know, if I'm in Milan on a street corner and you guys and you're there and, uh, you know, something's happening, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I would say, hey, could, could my group shoot too? And if you say, well, we're working on something, you know, I'd understand. But if you're not working on something, it's not that important. I think we're all in this together. We should all be able to work together. And you also have some examples of good worship behavior in another post. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, we were in China, and uh, we're photographing uh, these cormorant fishermen. Again, it's this like avatar-type setting, and we all work together. If someone was working on a shot, I said, okay, let this person finish their shot, and then let someone else come in. So you don't really want to hog the situation. We we're inside of some of these houses, and some people were you know, really working on a shot. And I said, well, let them finish a shot and then come in. So I think when you're on a workshop, you have to realize you're a team. You know, you're all, you all, everyone paid the same amount. Everyone's there to get the same shots. And you really have to work together. You, you, you have to be aware of your influence on other people. I'm afraid these uh, kind of situations will be happening more and more frequently with the uh rising popularity of photography and everybody has a camera nowadays and some places like Bosque della Pace or I don't know Angkor Wat or Mesa Arch are so popular that uh, Mesa Arch I think yeah you get so many you have to get up and like have to camp out there to get it get well that's the other thing to get the same shot that a million other people on the planet want have and do you do you want that shot you know I'm <laughs> you know it's, we were doing a workshop and a person calls me on the cell phone and because she's in a different locations. She says, I'm not getting the iconic shot. I'm not getting the iconic shot. <laughs> okay, take your own shot then, right? Why do you need the shot everyone else has? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent at the beginning of my trips, and I'm sure you guys do this too, is setting the expectations with the clients, letting them know that uh, this is not a competition and we're here to work together and hey. – be considerate of each other, and someone's going to walk into your shot. It's There's no reason to get upset about it. It's going to happen. Just be aware. Look behind you. You know, See if someone's shooting. It's about consideration, so I completely agree with that. But you do make a mistake. Like, you know, even I've made a mistake, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to help somebody, if I walk in, I say, oh, I'm sorry, you know. Sure. Uh, it's going to happen. I think you, you have a good point. Good point there, Ralph. Telling the people to set, set the, you know, setting the expectations. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. And and I think and I heard one time of a fellow uh, leader said that uh, one of the people in his workshop said to someone else in the same workshop, "If you walk into my shot again, I'm going to break your arm." You know, I mean that's that's ridiculous. I mean, come on, what shot is worth that? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, that reminds me of a couple of other stories, but uh, you really have to be aware. Yeah. It's about consideration and just, yeah. you know, and, and like I said, it's not a competition, but let's help each other. That's that's the way I run my, my show. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. So, Rick, if you, if you weren't a travel photographer, what else might you be doing? Well... I don't know if you can see my guitar in the back. I can. <laughs> this. 
On, on my website, actually, the first thing on the top left is it's called Rick's Music Room. So I actually have uh, that I do with my brother uh, five or six how-to, very basic how-to uh, play guitar and piano music lessons, and they're free. And one's on open tuning, and one's on how to turn boring chords into good chords. And the reason that's there is uh, this afternoon. I'm or uh, yeah, Wednesday. This afternoon, I'm going to be recording uh, another one. So I love doing that. I just came back from my walk. I go on, try to go on two walks every day, try to stay really healthy. So, you know, you say if I wasn't a travel photographer, I'd just tell you a funny thing. What I think is funny. I'm at a party with my son and uh, someone's, my son's standing next to me. And uh, the person says, well, Rick, what do you do? I say, I'm a photographer. <coughs> my son says, dad, <coughs> You're not a photographer. You're an entrepreneur who happens to be a photographer. Because I look at this as a business. When we talked last year, uh, I asked you if you what, what gear you bring on a on a trip, yeah. photography trip, and so on. And you told me that you typically bring everything because you know, uh, things might break down and so on. And yeah. well, aside from asking you whether you you bring a guitar on occasion as well, uh, actually. I have a little, I have this, I have this here. This is really cool. This is uh, my travel guitar, which is so small. Look how small this thing is. Wow. It doesn't have the head on it. It has the nuts in here. So you can put this in your carry-on bag. So that's cool. So we, we are all, yeah, sorry. We are audio only. So uh, we, we, if you can maybe share a link to that uh, so that guitar we'll put in the show notes so people can. Yeah, yeah. This is called this is called the Escape. It's called the Escape Travel Guitar. It's really cool and uh, runs on batteries. Oh, wow. It runs on batteries, so you plug it into your iPhone with something called the iRig, and then on your iPhone you have like sounds like Led Zeppelin and Santana. So it's really cool. Well, anyway, to, coming back to photography, I wanted to, yeah. to ask. Yeah, you, you, you bring a lot of gear, a lot of gear, just in case because something might break down. Do you have a, any stories about uh, things uh, about equipment breaking down badly and leaving you in a in a bad situation? Well, first of all, I'm scaling down my gear. I'm going to introduce you guys to something. It's a new Canon digital camera. It's never been shown on, uh, I don't think anybody knows about this. It's the world's smallest 500 megapixel digital camera with a detachable lens. And this is it. Look at this. Is this like the coolest? I mean, the image quality, the image quality from this little camera, you know, is just totally amazing. <laughs> we'll have to put up a screenshot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'll take a picture. It's just a little. It's just a little like a paperweight or something like that. Anyway, uh, I'm still using my Canon 5D Mark IV, which I love, and the uh, Canon 1DX. This is Mark II. This is really good. But as far as stories go, when I go on a workshop, I tell my students when we're using a tripod. Never take your hand off the tripod. Don't take your hands off the tripod because if someone's walking around at Bosca dell'Apache in the dark or wherever, they can knock it over, right? And your camera 
could get knocked over. Uh, I've also seen uh, tripods blow over. So the answer to your question is, do I have any stories? I'm in Iceland. I'm in Iceland, and I have a, a really right stuff tripod. Actually, it's back there. It 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 uh it goes. I'm six two. It goes a few inches above my head. Okay, it goes a few inches above my head. So I have a really high tripod, and my friend wants to borrow it because he wants to shoot at a low angle. So we're in Iceland by this uh, river, icy river. So I take my camera off the tripod. As soon as I take it off, a gust of wind comes up, blows my really right stuff tripod into these icy rapids. Okay? Now, and this, this is still the same one. So the tripod, the tripod is upside down because the ball head's heavy, smashing along the bottom of the icy rapids, and just the legs are sticking out, okay? <laughs> so it's going down, but the legs are sticking out because these are really right stuff tripods, they're sealed, okay? So there's air in here. So the ball head is smashing down. I see it going down. I'm just about to jump in. My wife says, don't jump in. You'll be swept away, be freezing. Fortunately, there's this young kid from Finland there with waders, you know, fishing waders, he runs back to his car, gets some, walks into the uh, icy rapids and rescues my tripod. And even though the ball head was smashed and you can see all the dings on it, this was a year ago. It still works perfectly. And if you want a link for your show notes on this whole story, just do a search. Rick Salmon, uh, really right stuff. Tripod survives uh, icy rapids. So it pays to have a really good quality stuff that. A, doesn't B, break down as easily. B, don't take your hand off the tripod. Yeah. <laughs> and C, uh, nice to ha- it's nice to have nice people around helping you. <laughs> wow, that would have been an expensive uh, loss for sure, huh? Well, not only expensive, Ralph, but this was the day before we were going to the Glacial Lagoon with the best slow shutter speed uh, opportunities were. Mm. Okay, so we would have, uh, I would have missed all of those. So, yeah, that, and then I was in, uh, I was in Sri Lanka, and I was, I was shooting in the water with this tripod and my brand new Canon 5D Mark IV, and a big, and I turned my back, and a sneaker, you know, like it snuck up on me, a sneaker wave came and smashed my back, and I almost lost everything. So, those are the only really two close calls I've had with equipment. Didn't you have a, a camera drop off of a camera strap recently? Oh, you know, I forgot about. I for, Oh, yeah, yes, uh, yes, yes. In uh, in Hong Kong, and um, yeah, I was walking along, and it and it fell off, and uh, got broken. But actually, it was on a, a Black Rapid strap, and this company, Black Rapid, has excellent customer service. I mean, excellent. You know, today customer service is king. Look at the customer service that Amazon has. I just bought a, something. I wasn't right. They printed out the label, sent it back. No problem. Black Rapid has excellent customer service because um, of the situation. They replaced the stuff, so it was good. So they, uh, they replaced your. Oh, what's that? They replaced the Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So I. Uh, 
I was surprised. I was surprised because some companies today, you know, don't have great customer service. Yeah, true. Well, they made it right. Yeah. Do you ever take a vacation? I mean, you take a trip just for relaxing and leave the camera home or maybe just take your iPhone or whatever you, you have in your pocket? Well, my vacation is uh, my wife and I have a happy hour every day when we're home. <laughs> we sit back and we listen to the backyard and we listen to the birds. And uh, being home, actually being home is like being on vacation, <laughs> if that makes sense. It totally oh, it does. does, yeah. Because I do work hard. I do work hard. We were out in um, in Grand Tetons, and we, we, that was kind of like, Route 66 was like a vacation. I think maybe the the trips in the United States are more like uh, vacations when we do them together, workshops or work, as you know. Yeah, I mean, some people might have the idea of the, the travel photographer as leading a glamorous life from uh, one first class lounge to the other and <laughs> sipping martinis by the pool, but. Uh, reality is a little bit different, probably. Well, if you, I'm the guy who charges. Uh, I don't have it here. Yeah. I, see these Tic Tacs? These are like mints. They cost uh, three bucks. I'll go to the supermarket. I'll charge these to get the three miles. So you talked about the first class. We went to uh, Sri Lanka. No, we went to China. Uh, we used all our American miles. My wife and I were both went uh, Cafe Pacific business class on our miles. So the point is, charge the Tic Tacs, charge, uh, uh, charge the, the gum, charge everything, because it's amazing how all this adds up. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, yeah no, we ch I charge everything. Um, you know that movie Up in the Air with George Clooney? You know, he was all that was all about the miles. Well, one of the things in the movies. Oh, yeah, that's a very nice movie. Remember it, Rick. Uh, you, you have a real affinity for Botswana, I know. Tell us about that country and why people should, should go there and what they should photograph. Well, the difference between uh, Botswana, and it's a very good question, the difference between Botswana and Kenya and Tanzania. With Kenya and Tanzania, you're going to see thousands of animals. If you go in the September to like November, you're going to see the migration of the wildebeest and the zebras, thousands and thousands of animals. You're also going to see lots and lots of people. In Botswana, you're going to see way fewer animals. They're harder to find, but they have great guides that help you find them, and you're going to have way fewer people. So if there's like a kill, if lions kill like a baby zebra in uh, Kenya, Tanzania, all the guys get on the radio and the kill is surrounded by maybe 15 or 20 vehicles. In Botswana, this doesn't happen. So I feel like in Botswana, you're more, you feel like you're more alone with, uh, with nature. And in Botswana, you could drive, there's like, I don't know if there's more uh, private reserves, but we go. We my one of my number one tips for going on a safari would be make sure you go on a safari where you could drive off the roads. Like in the Maasai Mara, you know, the national park, you can't drive off the roads, but you go to these private reserves, you can drive off the roads. So you know, if you have a camera with the with the longest telephoto lens known to man, you might not get the shot in Kenya. 
if you can't drive off the road, but in uh, Botswana, they could get you relatively close because the animals don't see the safari vehicle as food. You and the safari vehicle as food. So, you know, as you know, Ralph, uh, the, the animals come right up to you. And, and I guess that makes sense. I mean, with all, with all those people going to the Maasai Mara and so on, if everybody went driving off-road, pretty soon the, the place would be, there would be nothing left, right? Whereas yeah. in, so, in so Botswana, it's but it's, uh, it's maybe a worrying trend. I mean, now people uh, might start discovering Botswana or Namibia, which are relatively mm-hmm. unscathed and, uh, and, drove, uh, and drive there in, um, in thousands uh, and so on. And the situation so with everybody coming back to what i was saying before even like with everybody having a camera and with everybody wanting and being able to travel to those destinations where, where do you think is travel photography headed excuse the pun uh in terms of uh, of technology and the business and the markets what do you think are the trends that are uh, ongoing well one trend is that everybody and their brother as you know <laughs> everyone's doing workshops. You know, I see people who do, I've never heard of doing workshops. A friend of mine, actually, my wife's in the next office. If she's listening, she'll, she'll confirm this. Uh, My friend went on a workshop run by uh, basically someone he never heard of. I never heard of. So he calls me up the day before the workshop to Iceland is supposed to leave. And the, person leading the workshop cancels the workshop because she didn't have enough people. I see Ralph's face and I heard you're out. Oh my God. So he calls me in a panic. Uh, what can I do? So I called a couple of friends and they were able to line something up for him. But I think you want to go on a workshop with someone with, um, you know, credentials, right? Who's been doing this. I can't believe, I can't believe he, uh, he signed up for this workshop actually, you know, Get what you pay for. Yeah. That someone would cancel a workshop the day before. The day before, Ralph. They didn't have enough people. My God. Yeah, she knew. She knew four months out, right? Yeah, not everyone. You know, anyone who was on the workshop, I assume, had made flight arrangements and everything else. Jesus. Well, that's why. And he's a doctor. He's a doctor, so uh, he closed his practice for a week. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. So that's bad workshop behavior on the instructor's part. For sure. Yeah, and, and that, that certainly happens. Speaking of workshops, I, I saw you started doing virtual workshops where uh, people are uh, able uh, to, to connect with you online via Skype, I think. Uh, and uh, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about those? I've been toying yeah. with the idea of doing some remote consultations myself, but uh, yeah. how, how do, those, uh, do those work for you? Sure. Well, I started with Route 66, and now I do uh, to Iceland. I did one to Iceland, too, and I did a couple of others. But basically, not everyone wants to go on the workshop, you know, with 20 people. Like for Iceland, you can basically rent a car and go to the same places that the workshop goes to. And if you just get a couple of basic tips, uh, you'll get good pictures. Uh, And then, as A and B, some people don't have the money, like – if you want to go to Iceland, like on a workshop, it would cost you probably three times as much as it costs to go on your own. So I said, hey, why don't I start these virtual workshops? So the way they work is um, for Iceland, uh, people 
say they want to come. Price is 200 bucks uh, for two hours, one before their trip and one after. I send them my exact itinerary, the hotels and all this other stuff. I ask them not to share the itinerary. And then we spend about an hour looking at their, in this case, landscape pictures and their processing. And I help them with all of that. And then uh, when they come back, I help them process their pictures and evaluate their pictures and give them basically like an online uh, critique. And you do this for, you said, Iceland, Route 66? Yeah, and I'm going to start it for, uh, um, for Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and just about everywhere, everywhere I've been. But Iceland, I think, is, is, is really good because every workshop goes to the exact same waterfalls, right? <laughs> they go along the southern end and things like that. So people want to save money and get the same pictures and be alone, like with their spouse or a friend. This is really a good thing. I'll contact you next time um, when I go to Iceland. Okay, I'll send you the itinerary. Cool. <laughs> well, how far is Milan from Venice? Uh, it's, uh, well, metrics is 250 kilometers. That would be 160 miles or something like that. Less than 200 miles. Because yeah. I'm going to be in Venice uh, for Carnivale next february so maybe we could come visit oh yeah well i'll be in venice for the carnival as well oh excellent definitely okay. meet up there i know okay, yeah you've got a workshop going there yeah yeah let's uh let's talk about it let's arrange something definitely okay I'll be there great ralph you have any other questions you want to ask rick uh you know as much as you travel you've been traveling for decades now uh can you give us uh I don't know, two or three just great travel tips that you have for people? Uh, get, number one, get global entry. Uh, I don't know if you have it in, uh, in Italy, but no. global entry, no? Global entry is you sign up online, and when you get off the plane in a JFK or any U.S. airport, any U.S. airport, you bypass the lines, you, put your, you go to a kiosk, you put your hands on, your fingers on this like piece of glass. Uh, they read your fingerprints, take your picture, and you're out in like three minutes. You you know why we don't have it in Italy? Because when you land in Italy and you go through customs, it takes five minutes. We don't take your fingerprints. We don't take your photo. We don't ask you a lot of questions. The the police there will just I look at your passport. They will scan the passport, and if it's okay, you go through. That's uh, that's why we don't have it. <laughs> Well, that's so in Iceland. That's, Iceland, you go right through. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, in the U.S., you do too. The problem here is the line. You know, the line, they're, yeah. not take, they're not. I mean, I don't know about foreigners coming back into the U.S., but this is for Americans coming back into the U.S. But another tip, uh, I think, even better than global entry is a mobile passport app. Yeah, that's a good one. And that one, you you know, you'd have to look into it. But you know, you pretty much don't even have to go for an interview. It doesn't cost anything. I actually had one of my uh, tour participants in Cuba saw a sign for it after we got off the plane in Miami back from Cuba. She downloaded it as she's walking and filled everything out and was right in the global entry line with me. I know. It's amazing. Amazing. But it's only good at certain airports, and they're, you know, they're expanding the amount of airports that it is available at. But it's pretty cool. So I have my own little tip. 
Uh, yep. <laughs> Just a story that happened to me when I was traveling to to Chicago for for the out of the Chicago conference. I had a layover in Toronto, and they do the uh, the immigration uh, stuff at the Toronto airport. Not when you land in Chicago, but when you live in Toronto. And they I, they could not the machine could not read my fingerprints. So I spent maybe 10 minutes trying to get the machine to read my fingerprints, and it couldn't. So I had to go through uh, the desk where there was a nice uh, lady from the TSA or whatever it was. That No, not the TSA, the uh, DHS, right? And she, she, she wanted me to, to take the fingerprints again and question me and everything. And she said, uh, this little tip for you. Sometimes the machines will not read your fingertips if your fingers are too dry. So you just swipe your fingers across your forehead and that will put some oil on the fingertips and then the machine will read it fine. <laughs> so if you have troubles reading the fingertips, uh, the fingerprints at the, at the machine, just swipe them across your forehead and you will be fine. That's, that's what I learned last time I, I traveled to the US. Cool. Very cool. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, so about all I've got. I think we are uh, we're fine. Uh, I'd love to to talk with you for for hours. So you got so many stories to tell and so much fun to to talk with you. But I uh, want to be respectful of your time. So I uh, just want to to thank you again for for being with us today. Uh, looking forward to to seeing you in Venice then uh, in February, which is when the carnival will will be. We'll yes, definitely meet there and. Are you doing a workshop or just I, I, going? I'm doing a workshop as well. Yeah. So because actually I'm not doing a workshop. I'm going on a workshop uh -huh. uh, with a friend. My wife and I are joining another workshop because I just uh, they've rented a palace or whatever. So uh, yeah, we're just going to actually that will be a vacation. I'll give you a big discount on mine if you want. To okay. <laughs> okay. So and Ralph, uh, what about you? Uh, got anything coming up interesting? Yeah, I mean, uh, I keep mentioning my tour organizer training program, which is coming up, where I'm teaching people how to organize and lead their own trips. Uh, that's coming up, uh, actually being, the webinar is launching on July 20th. I'm not sure when the show will come out. Oh, I think this will come out uh, later, but uh, okay. maybe we'll you will do a rerun. <laughs> yeah, we'll have some subsequent uh, webinars after that. But if people are interested in learning how to organize and lead their own trips, uh, they can come to that. And then uh, I've got a few spots left on my India and Cambodia trips coming up in uh, October and November. So really looking forward to that, as well as Romania in September. Where are you going in India? India, we're doing the Golden Triangle, Agra, Jaipur, Delhi, as well as Pushkar Camel Fest and uh, Jodhpur. So fairly... Uh, anyone who's listening should go with Ralph on that. That is a, Those places are amazing. You get such a high percentage of good pictures. Yeah, the, the, the photo opportunities are just everywhere. It's incredible. It's wonderful. So, Rick, uh, you want to, to say again where, where people can find uh, about you online, your website, or if you have anything else you would like to, to share with our audience? Well, uh, just uh, it's just Rick Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N, ricksalmon.com. But, uh, Ralph, you said you're doing uh, this uh, program on how people can uh, lead workshops. I had the same idea. Yes? And not necessarily workshops, it's tours. It doesn't have to be photo tour, it could be any kind of walking tour, culinary tour, anything. 
Oh, okay. That's just, a good idea. Because do you remember Kramer from Seinfeld? He had the coffee table book about coffee tables. Yeah. I, I wanted to do a workshop. Uh, it's a, a, a workshop on how to lead a workshop. So it reminded me of the Kramer thing. But, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. And man, uh, Venice, since um, yeah, the workshop I'm going on is full, uh, man, I'm going to send you a note on my dates, okay? And okay. then, uh, well, and then we'll see it. if we can have a cappuccino or, uh, or a Chianti. Definitely, yep. What, uh, yeah. You know, in Venice, the, the typical drink is called Spritz, which they make it from sparkling wine. And uh, sweet liquor, which is called aperol. They don't. Oh, add, yeah, yeah. They don't. Add. Chianti is more in Tuscany, but spritz is the typical drink of Venice. So I'll buy you a spritz when we're there. Okay, you get the first one. I get the second one. <laughs> okay, my friends. Thanks Thank so much, Rick. Thank so you guys, and uh, send me a link, and I'll socialize it and everything. Yep, of course.